0: Hello and welcome to Deep Cuts Live. We have a great show for you tonight. Tonight we're gonna to be interviewing Philip Zangi. He is the owner of Debonair Cigars. So if you've ever smoked Debonair Cigars or maybe you've heard of his other brand, Indian Motorcycle Cigars, he's the man behind the brand. Um, it's gonna, I'm expecting a very enlightened, uh, fun interview with Philip. He's a very um, great personality, big character. Let's get to today's interview. Bill, welcome to Deep Cuts Live.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, like, if people can hear in the background, you're at home, I take it.
1: Yeah, my girl, I, my girls are downstairs with her friend. She's playing. I'm up on my balcony. In we a remote location. As you can see by my camera quality, it's 82 <laughs> satellite feeds.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, we were talking before we went live and you were saying that you felt like El Chapo uh, coming in from an undisclosed location. But, uh, I'm
1: very misunderstood. People don't understand that. <laughs> it's, a, it's a family business, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly. But I kind of like doing it. I feel like you're, you're in your element now. You're at home. I yeah. feel like that gives the, the interview a whole different dimension than like if we were standing in the middle of a trade show floor. It would still be yeah. just as it it'll be crazy people passing by and and conversations, 10,000 conversations happening. So I feel like the at home environment, uh, as I started during the pandemic, just makes it a little bit more homey and uh, hopefully you're at ease and this is going to be a great conversation either way.
1: Absolutely, Antoine. No problem, man. I'm not, I, I, I've done, I did a lot of these over the uh, pandemic time, you know, mm-hmm. and it actually helped me get back in touch with my consumer base. And um, and, uh, just being home, I contacted, I went through my WhatsApp chats to the beginning and just started reaching out to, you know, there's some people you're just not going to reach out to, but to say, are you okay? How are you? What's going on? And people are like, man, you it's so good. You know, like you're the only person that's not a salesperson or whatever. And I'm like, no, I'm just seeing how you are. Are you feeling good? And, and, and just got invited on a lot of shows because I do like to talk and I enjoy chopping it up with people. And I mean, cigars are just a catalyst for good conversation for me. I've been doing it now going on 34 years. I started in 91. Um, In premium cigars have in some way, somehow been a fabric of my life in many aspects, even my youth with my dad. I mean, they're all my grandfather was a smoker. My dad was a smoker. They were both members of the World Humidor Society of Dunhill. And so it's kind of I'm not like a Latino cat who grew up in the cigar family, but I'm an Italian-American or an American-Italian that my dad was in the gaming and movie industry that grew up around a lot of people who smoke cigars. You know what I mean? It yeah, just was what
0: it was. Yeah. And I think like, you know, I've, I've said with Deep Cups from the beginning that, you know, the reason that I do this and I try to reach out to so many different companies is because I feel like we have lost track of, you know, the basic stories of why people got into the industry. And they're so like, so basic, but they're interesting because everyone has a completely different angle of how they got into the industry, how they landed where they are now. So, right. um, you know, for me, the, the stories are always super important. And uh, even, you know, here we are in 2023, um, and there's a lot of new people coming into the cigar industry. They don't know those stories. So I feel like taking, a, taking the time to recapture those stories
1: uh, in this format was um, yeah. important. I don't know if it's stories anymore; it's history at this point. Right? I mean, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I've been—we've been doing this long enough. Seeing, me and some of the guys that I, I start—you know—I cut my teeth with. I mean, you got to—I mean, I think there's some viewers out there who do know who I am, and there's probably some people who don't, of course. But because um, I was behind the scenes for years and years, but during the '90s, in '91, I founded Indian Tobacco Company because I had Indian Motorcycle. Because my father and I refounded the actual motor company, tried to at least when mm. I was still in high school. And then I spun off a cigar company called Indian Tobacco, Indian Tobacco Company, which I came out with the chief, the warrior, the TP, the arrow, the boxer, and the classic. And then I came out with the limited reserve. And then eventually I was one of the guys to actually, I mean, I don't know if I am the guy, but the one who coined the phrase super fuerte and boxed Fres Maduro. And I was doing that. And when I lived, there, and then I eventually after like 94, I moved to Honduras, 95, and lived in Don Lee for almost 10 years. And then um, just trying to get this going, and then I met a guy named Rocky Patel in a cigar bar in L.A. And he was uh, he was settling cases for some people, and um, we became friends. And he gave me some money and became my fifty percent partner. And in Rocky, just you know, we I worked out of his office, and then we had an office and stuff like that. And we didn't. He really didn't start. Like he was busy doing other stuff. He really didn't start messing around until like 99, like really helping out. And then like 2001, I resigned and then 2002 RP was born, you know? And then I moved from there. Honduras, I ended up here in the Dominican Republic because a gentleman that I still partners with, um, he patented, I helped co-invent this product called blunt wrap, this rolling paper that was just on a whim and it took off like crazy. So, we moved all the facilities from down in Honduras to here in the Santiago Dominican Republic. And you're looking at like 2004, right? So, cause I started 2002 working, we were on the road and then we were making to Honduras. And by the time we moved here, it was like 2004. And then geez, it was years building that monster, you know? And then we got into the machine made world. I went over to Comp uh, to in Holland and bought two KDSs for the company. And then we started the first year, we, I think we made 5 million units of machine maids. And by the time I started in 2013 with Debonair doing premiums again, we were making 480 million units a year of machine maids. And you're talking at least a half a billion or more units a year of blood wraps. So, I mean, yeah, I left the industry, but I didn't leave the tobacco industry. I mean, and then, mm-hmm. of course, with – I mean, I don't know. I mean, I know a lot of other things. Don't say I – but, I mean, I mean tobacco so long, man. It's like from brokering, from growing to – I learned everything from the ground up, fermentation, seed selection, you know, greenhousing to, you know, how to prime tobacco, how to shortcut it, how to, you know, what shade to use and what size barns to build and the depth and the height and the what you use for the floor. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. So um I'm one of those weirdos like that. I, I dig into something, I go to the bone, you know, and I love it. And it's, you gotta understand when I got into it, you're talking the nineties. I mean, it was only old guys at the track and your granddad were smoking cigars, right? So then this boom came out of nowhere, which I knew that was happening in motorcycling because that's why we got with Indian and we made all the parallel accessories that became real famous. And um, and I knew cigars were coming because my theory was that the 2K thing was coming. Everyone thought the world's gonna end and right. you know, 2000 and let's live the old that's why they sold out of champagne, the old lifestyle of living opulent and living like you know, the war in 20s, you know smoking, drinking, eating. People are just gonna do it. And I just saw that coming. And then you saw the birth of magazines, which first was run Spectator, Scarf Chinado, then Smoke Magazine. I was on the cusp when they first started. Um, just, if, I guess if you're around long enough, man, I, there's not many people I haven't met in this industry. You know?
0: Exactly. And like I said, it, and you're pretty well known in the industry. I know when I first got into the industry in 2010, Mm-hmm. You know, I heard about Indian motorcycle and I started seeing lots about Debonair. Um yeah. and so I know you were pretty prominent out there. But before we get into all that part of your history, yes, I, I wanna fat track a little bit and get into like just the basics of of you. Like how did you originally get into cigars? Because I know it's it's a niche product that not everyone yeah. gets into or understands. So how did you get into it
1: okay so there's two there's this is a question that i mean there's to me there's a two-part question it, there's two parts how did i get into smoking cigars was i how do i even think about why i was smoking and what whatever that's part one that's my family my dad my uncles it was like they used to have these you know italians and, you know social clubs and stuff like that and you know time spent you know you know i'm you know, if you have enough time to smoke a cigar, you got money to burn. I remember I used to hear that saying all the time. So, I mean, I always associated cigar smoking with success because it's not like a nicotine delivery device style thing, mm-hmm. right? It's like, you know, time and you can – it takes time to smoke a cigar, right? So you got to have time out of – if you have enough time to sit down and for 45 minutes and do absolutely nothing but smoke a cigar – and you're talking when I learned and what became – there was no phones and there was nothing you can't – You there was no – getting online in a cigar shop and working. I mean, you went to a, a, you went to a keep, you went to a cigar. It wasn't even a lounge. These were shops and they had like a back room. It wasn't what we know of now. And, you know, I mean, you had nothing, you you either retired or had nothing better to do or had enough money not to give a fucking, just sit there and smoke. You know, Mm -hmm. that's a B. That's how I got around cigars. How I got into the cigar industry is because, I was—I had Indian motorcycle. I was like 19 years old, and I was going to New York City a lot. And that's when I was going to the Keepa, you know, at the, the of London and Davidoff Geneva, and hanging out with my dad and hanging out with these people. And he was always a big cigar smoker. I always had humidor's custom made cigars made for him. And I just said, wouldn't it be a kick that I made my own cigar? Right? It's the ultimate VIP pass. So I got—I called U.S. Tobacco. And a guy named Raymond guys got on the phone. He was the president of procurement and manufacturing for US Tobacco Premium Cigar Division, which they didn't even call premium then. It was Long Filler, right? And he was in Stanford, Connecticut. And he came up and met me in Springfield, Mass. And I started to make cigars just on the whim. And I wasn't even selling them, I was giving them away. If you bought a jacket, if you bought a motorcycle, if you bought whatever, I was just giving away. And it was more of an eagle boost for me because I have my own stick and I go to these clubs. And I'm, I'm 19, 20 years old, huh? With fat pockets driving any kind of car I wanted going to New York city, living the life. And I had my own cigar brand. So I would just, and then the booms, it wasn't there yet, but it was starting to, people were smoking a lot more and it was Mm -hmm. accepted more. So I would go to clubs and, you know, just, you know, just get in and do whatever I wanted. It was great. It was, it was a good, it was some good times. And that's how I got into the cigar industry is because I wanted to make my own cigar. And it, I looked at it at that point. It was the best type of business card you could have. Here's the coolest business card, you know, here, man, I get a card. Yeah, but here's my cigar. Wow, man, that's awesome. That's yours? It's your cigar? Yeah, I make these cigars. Where do you make cigars? Nobody even knew. It's not like now, like everybody's like, oh, you can go here and, you know, this and no, no. It's like, and don't be wrong, I love all these guys who are getting in the industry, but they understand it's an industry.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I mean, when these people say, oh, I'm going to make a million cigars a year. And I go, so that means you got to sell 4,000 boxes of cigars a month. You realize that, right? They're like, what? Yeah, the 20 count. Oh right. So how many ma- a million cigars at fifty pounds per thousand? Do the math, and then they look at you They're like, "Well, what's that cost to make?" Look at the average cost of a cigar. If you want to make it in a manufacturer with packaging and everything, is two dollars. Say for actual manufacture, two fifty. It can go up or down. So you're talking how much? Two point what? Five million dollars <laughs> to make a million cigars, and that's to make them. That's not to sell them. That's not to you know, market them. That's not to get enough buzz for guys like you to call me and have me get on. It's all that stuff, you know? So, I mean, that's the thing is I see the, the hobbyist kind of mentality is great, but that's why you see them come in and go out because once people start to see it as a real business, it costs a lot of money. It takes a giant fortune to make a small one, you know?
0: Yeah, and I tell that to a lot of people who don't understand the industry. Like I said, this isn't an industry you get into thinking you're going to make a lot of money. Like, I don't know, I haven't spoken or found anyone yet who says like, Oh, you know, the cigar stuff is, just making me so much money. I'm just, you know, it's like the money that you make, you end up from what I understand, putting right back into the business somehow. And then it's just a cycle. You just keep on and keep on. And that's how you get longevity, but it's still, it's like you have to have more passion for it than a desire to, to make money or this idea that you're going to make money. And that's money is going to be what makes you successful or not.
1: It's true. All my other businesses do really well. This does, it supports itself. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, that's the funny thing is that it's, it's people say is I was, as you say, when I in 2010, when you got in, I was well-known in the industry, but I wasn't well-known at the consumer base. Right. So by 13, 14, when I'm really doing stuff, I had to go back. Like I was just some newbie no matter what. Cause these new store owners, a lot of them have closed. There's all kinds of new stuff going on. There's a whole new world. It was a different world. FDA, all these things happening, bang, 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 bang. So now I had to go and reintroduce myself, you know, with pedigree, I guess. But then you got to understand it's either shadowed or lifted up by my ex partnerships and all the people that I knew, but you can't just go name drop. Right. Cause then people mm-hmm. say, where are you? Then you tell them where you're at. They're like, well, why did you even get back in this? You know?
0: <laughs> yeah. But like, I, I think talk about that for a second, the idea that, you know, like you said, you're well known in the industry, but you still have to do the work to get known by the consumer. Right. Like how easy is it really to reach the consumer today here in 2023? Is it still as difficult as it was back, you know, in the nineties, or is it, has it
1: gotten a little bit easier? 90s was easy because you, anyone could do it. There was hardly anybody trying to get in it, and once you tried to get to it, it's facilitated much simpler now. Where you can find someone to make cigars for you. Then it was very difficult to even find out where to go. You had to go to crazy places with crazy people to get these things manufactured, and you're taking a chance. But now, in, even in the DR, it was it was it was crazy. It was hardly what it was. It's now it's so advanced, you know. But yeah, it's you could say it's easier. To get out there, but to be known now is way more difficult because there is a plethora. It's flooded with imagery. It's flooded with this, that, and the other thing. And the thing is to get good representation to not be, to be the new shiny penny always is very difficult because how can a one man, I'm I'm still a one man show, right? I have one full-time salesman. I have a couple reps and stuff, but I had a big distribution that I I was in for three years that didn't fulfill what I thought it would fulfill. It just didn't work out because it was, it got me in front of people, but the sales never reflected that, right? So prior to a big distribution deal, my sales were way better than my notoriety, right? Because it didn't cost me much and I was growing. It was growing exponentially, but slowly. Um, Is it, nothing's easy anymore. You know that. You're talking about the media, man. I mean, could it be- I mean, this day and age, how sensitive everything is. I mean, even the, the way the wind blows, people get upset. So, I mean, you got to imagine, you got to either walk on eggshells or be totally out of your mind, right? And there is no in between for anyone to, so you got to stick to your product, right? I'm making this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this and that, but how much can you really now tell people because they've heard the, Seiko, lihero, Viso, this and that aging time process, but with me... I'm more of a character, right? So, I mean, I don't make cigars. I make reasons for people to enjoy their lives. That's why it's the debonair ideal. It's an ideal, right? It's mm-hmm. a, it's not a lifestyle. It's a way of life. You know, it's more, this is the catalyst to do what we're doing. I want to know about you. Great. The cigar is great. Tastes good, right? Yeah. Burns perfect. Beautiful. Yeah. And and what? What do you want to know? What do you mean? What, what books have you read lately? Where have you been? Well, you know, no politics, no religion. Let's talk about being human beings. What makes you happy in life? Oh, you know, I like to cook. Great. Me too. What do you like to cook? That was always my thing. It's to be personable. You know, make people... The most beautiful sound in the world is the sound of your own name, right? Mm-hmm. If you want people to be interested in you, act interested in them first. And that's what I, I saw for a while in the industry, but then it got to this super ego boost or like fringe element that... People came up with new ideas that are, it's cool, of course, it's inventive, but the core of it is, is a super high quality product, right? That's backed by specified knowledge and accurate thinking, right? So that's what it should be And a defined purpose. My defined purpose was to make the best cigar I possibly can make, try to bring it to the world and in turn get feedback of accolades, love, joy, not be famous, right? I'd rather be well-respected, well, respected, well renowned, well-liked than famous any day because that's fleeting, right? But then people think you're nuts. But that what I'm trying to do takes forever because it's not flashing a pan. It's not stuff like that. It's me, myself, going around, talking, you know, evangelical sales, which that doesn't even really exist anymore. So basically it's it's very difficult to become prestigious, but it's easy to become well-known
0: but In at the same time i think what what you said makes perfect sense to me um and that like when you look at the cigar industry you have some brands that are uh you know they're well known by name and yeah. they sell themselves and then you have other brands that they are attached to someone with a big personality and people will buy that product because they feel close to that person right um, and i think it's harder to at this point, it's, it's harder to, like, get to that point where the c- cigar can sell itself just basically by its name. Like, I feel like those are just a, a handful of companies that are able to do that. And even then, it's hard to even get that excitement because it's like you kind of know what to expect from that name. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's like you're already in a box. So anything that new that comes out it's just like, oh, that's just another XYZ, you know, brand. That's just another this yeah. or that.
1: And count them on your hands. And people say, well, you know, this Padron and, and this and Fuente, 50 years, man. These guys were broke. They were so broke, many times they couldn't pay attention, right? And they stuck it out and kept on their morals and made a great product and didn't try to make something new every single day and didn't try to appease the, you know, the Pez container theory. You know, you know what the candy tastes like, but you want the new Pez dispenser." Why do you want a new defense suspension? you like the, the candy what you like. Now, if you want to collect something, it's a different thing, right? Okay. But you know, when you look at car collectors, they usually go on one type of vehicle, then they jump and go to another one, but that takes decades, right? Guns, watches really opulent high end stuff. Right. But us in the cigar industry, people like it, th- their palate develops so much quicker than anybody and they don't realize it does right. So, but they're not looking for flavor profiles. They're looking for more potency, right? You know what I mean? So, in this day and age, it's not like, there's no such thing as my favorite cigar. I don't believe that. I don't believe what anyone says that. But if you can be in the five rotation of the cigar that's in that humidor that they buy in your hand. It's like the hand theory, right? One of the five. You can be one of the five that they pick up during their weekly purchase. You're doing really well this day and age. Because, man, there's a plethora of stuff. And there's so many gimmicks. And there's so many things and there's some genius businessmen out there that are doing these, you know, these clubs. And then, you know, you're going to be getting fed new stuff every month. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is it good? Is it bad? By the time you think about it, who knows? Because it's already the fifth month before you smoke that. So it's a great marketing tool. But is that now going to, will that dilute the truth of a single, you know, developed brand? I don't think so. It might in the beginning, it might not later, but to, time will tell. But it's what you search for that you really makes you enjoy yourself. Now, it's not as simple. as just it's better, but then it's also confusing, right? So, because even me as a cigar smoker, I just don't smoke only my stuff. I smoke all my competition stuff, right? And do I consider them competitors? Of course I do. Do I consider them friends too? Yeah. But let's not lie. Oh, they're, everyone's the best friends. We're all family. No, we're not. No, we're not. We're all competing against each other. We respect you. there are our peers. We all, there's some of us who really get along and some of us who hate each other. But this whole thing about, you know, it's it's the Drake term, handshakes from the fakes a lot of time. And you got to accept that, you know, and that's just the, the honesty that needs to be put out there. But you know what? It's the famous saying, you know, you know, I love all mankind, but I trust no man. <laughs> and it's a business. You know, if you get lucky to have a, I mean, I've been around long enough to see the in and out and the wash. And so many people I've known that have fallen off to the wayside or guys that have gone inc- incredibly big. And are they the same people? Of course they're not. How right. can you? Even if you never became famous, are you the same person you were when you were 22? Impossible. That guy changed. I hope. hope he grew as <laughs> a human. You know, what do you want him to be? The same guy? I mean, Me, I'm lucky. I'm I'm kind of the same guy. I've never really lost my passion and stuff. I just turned 50 years old. and People are like, what? Dude. I'm like, how do you keep doing it? Why wouldn't I? Right? I don't know. Go ahead. You had some questions. Go ahead.
0: No, I was going to say like,
1: you know, what you
0: you, as I've been like on TikTok tock and, and listening to videos about jobs and work and business uh i keep seeing this there's this idea that um this one woman was putting out there and she was saying like in the business if you hear the term like we're a family you should be very concerned about that <laughs> she said because there's no in business like if you hear that term like oh we're a family we're we're a big family it's usually a red flag she said because it's a business and you shouldn't be a family. So like you should maybe right. think of yourself as a sports team. Like you all are trying to work towards maybe the same goal, but you're not a family because a family has a completely different dynamic than in a business. So like what you said kind of reminds me of that, like the cigar industry, you do hear that term, you know, we're all a family and yet, you know, it's like, is, is that really true? Is that, or is it more of like that? Again, like that mentality, maybe we're more of a sports team. Like we're all kind of, uh, you may Maybe the, the other team is the FDA, and we're all trying to do what we can to, to get past them, but um, are we a, a family? Like Maybe not. Maybe that's not the best term for it.
1: It's because it's exactly about sports teams. I'm a Yankees fan. You're a Boston fan. Yeah, we both play baseball. But, yeah, everybody wants to play for the Yankees. I hate the Yankees. But if they give you a $25 million contract to go play for the Yankees, are you going to go play for the Yankees? Oh, I'm going to the Yankees. Oh okay. so yeah, I'm going to the Yankees, right? That's the thing. That's the thing is, no, I'm not, You're not, listen, everybody out there, you include Antoine, we're talking. There's no negativity to anything I'm saying. I mean, the reality right. of life is like, right? You pick and choose who you like. Get along is a different thing, right? So I just, I mean, that's my whole thing with the cigars. And now you got to look at this way. I got Debonair, which is my ultra premium. It's my baby. It's what I smoke and I love. Then I have Indian motorcycle cigars, which also is my baby, which has been involved in my life since I was 18 years old, good and bad saw me lose everything once from it and then eventually get it back. And I'll be able to work with Polaris, which is, you know, six to eight billion dollar a year company, which that dealing with that, that size of a company. And all I can say is this, not to blow anybody up or whatever, but working with that company. Okay. I make an email, I make a call, I get called back. Some of the companies I've worked with before that were not even a, a one decimal, of what that company does, don't call you back, wait months to talk to you. You know, and it's, I don't even think it's, they don't think you're important. I don't know what goes on. But for me, the ones guys I really see who are successful in industry are good communicators mm-hmm. in many forms, right? So, and they're also, they have gotten lucky in the way where they've actually got a really good team behind them over years which is behind the scenes that actually run their company and allow them to do the dog and pony. Right. And everybody like Rocky was a genius at it. I mean, him and I kind of invented the way, you know, in the beginning, it's like, Oh, Phil's my friend. Rocky Patel's my friend. Right. Of course. You meet them, you shake their hand, you give them 20, 30 minutes. You remember their name. It's great. And that that resonates on where I went into the machine made world into the mass market. Rocky stayed on. Why is Rocky Patel Rocky Patel? No matter if like him or don't like him, you can't take it away from him. That guy is like James Brown, the hardest-working man in cigars. That guy was on the road, man. He was doing the cape. Hold on. He's sweating. Yeah, that's him. No hating. I know him better than anyone. I mean, we cut our teeth together. But that's the thing. You, he had a – there's what me, Jonathan Drew, they used to stay in my house in Nicaragua and stay in Honduras and was my good friend and whatever. What we did at that time can never be repeated. That never can be done again because we were in a time when it was in a, a, a fledgling industry of newbies that were no, not even allowed in how we got in. He moved to Nicaragua. I lived in Honduras and just became fixtures. We became the gringos. I became the Italiano. I'm Filippo. You know, there I was just there. Every day. I kept showing up. They'll eventually let you ride the horse, you know, go ahead. Okay. He's here every day. This guy Once you to do that. But that's, they're also the other facet of this industry is what people with new brands, they're counting on a factory to make a cigar for them, right? Don't care what anyone says. ABC blends. To come mm-hmm. down to develop an actual blend, you got to know what to make a blend means. You can't just go the basic. Ligero, seco, viso, medio tiempo, una banda, en capote. And, okay, what ligero? Oh, I want Havana. Okay. There's what? That I know of, 56 strains of Havano alone, right? One of my, the guy that's my, the old man that's my mentor here in tobacco, Leo Reyes, which is involved in every aspect of this, has 15 strains of Havano leaf. Okay, there's your ligero. Where's your viso? Havano? Okay, here we go. Oh, no, I want to put some Peruvian. I want to put some, some Cuita. I want to, okay. What strain, what area? I mean, it's so in-depth, man. It's like mm-hmm. going to a French chef and saying, you know, how, tell me how to make your bouillon base. It'd be like, hey, go into the restaurant. <laughs> sometimes I'm the, I am tease people and they're like, well, what's your blend? And they get all into it. I said, it's, it's none yet. It's a special blend I came up with none, none of your in business. <laughs> Just smoke it. Do you really want to know how the sausage is made? You know, some people do. And you can, but then sometimes if you try to explain to them layman terms, they think you're speaking down to them. Right, but then if you try to explain to them i can get into make your head explode this strain this way this is where the leaf is put i don't know all these different ways and this then the, the fermentation the time frames and how you flip it and then they're like now he's like talking down to me you know all that comes down to is just enjoy the product in what you think you like about it then i can answer why i think it tastes that way but it's all nuances man it's super nuancey it's not chocolates and this and that hints the only thing i only ever believe when you hear in these ratings is hints of not even a hint it's a nuance it's a fleeting it's this escapism because it gets into your nose and it's a mental thing you remember as a kid eating like malted malted balls of 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 like whoppers or or like a cornflake or something it's, it's that, 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 that you know that whap. you know what i mean
0: i do because you know one of my it was a couple of years ago, Manuel Cosada, during one of the pro cigars, he was talking yeah. about tasting, uh, you know, tastings and ratings and all this stuff. And he was like, you know, for some of us cigar makers, you know, he tells the history of the whole how ratings came about and stuff like that. And he was like, we didn't get it. He said, because, you know, a cigar is supposed to taste like tobacco. <laughs> and he's, like, and he's like, but that's not the, the fun or romantic kind of story to it. Yeah. So we understand like why it developed the way it did to help people get into it and understand. But at the same time, it's like, like you said, it's like hints of stuff and people like to make it sound like like you're going to taste that flavor all the way through. And then you oh, taste right. and then you smoke it and you're like, I don't, I don't see it. I don't get it. And you think something wrong is wrong with you. And it's just right. like, it's just not how a cigar, I don't think it's supposed to, like you say, it's supposed to give you hints of it. Like you, you might get the aroma and say, Oh, this like, you know, reminds me of like, you know, it has a woodsy flavor. So cedar, you know, cedar yeah. notes or something like that. But it's like some of these other, you know, ratings and stuff. I always feel like they just kind of, you know, I, I don't want to say lead people the wrong way. But when you say like barnyard smell, like who, who wants to smell something that's barnyard anyway? So it's like all subjective kind of unless, stuff.
1: Unless you were a farmer and you grew up on a farm and that's a great memory. Look, right,
0: exactly. <laughs>
1: it's a, it's a memory driven. You remember your olphatic or whatever the term is, olphatic, right? Your smell is like 60 to 70% of your taste because that's when when you have a cold, you can't taste anything, right? So mm-hmm. the thing is is that that I've studied it, man. That smell activates in your brain a memory, right? So the thing is is that then it activates the memory also in the time with your sweetness, your sourness and your saltiness, right? So you're getting up, you're getting a very in-depth kaleidoscope of impact, you know? So it's like, but it's fleeting. It's like, I don't, I don't blame anybody and God bless them with the ratings and what they come up with. These people put some thought into it, but yeah, it's not going to be chocolate. And if somebody thinks it's going to be chocolate and they're smoking it, then it could actually hurt a brand because people are thinking that's what they're going to get. And you had nothing to do with it. You have no, we have no control over ratings. Zero mm-hmm. reviews, nothing. I don't care what anyone says. You can influence somehow some of these guys, they say oh, it costs money and this and that, but there's many different facets to why things happen in these magazines. And it is some financial, but of course, it's, it's, you get preferential treatment anyway. If you go to a restaurant once a week with your family and you're blowing, you know, a couple grand a month in a restaurant, of course, the owner's going to come to your table. Of course, you're going to get a free dessert. Of course, you're going to get some more bread on your table. I mean, the, the pizzeria guy's going to give you one. I mean, you know, well, that's unfair. Is it? You believe in them, they're believing in you, right? But then there's a lot of ways when I was like the people's champ thing, right? So I would rather read the comments and see what people say. Not the good, bad reviews. I read the bad reviews. The good ones, I want to see what the people say bad. then I text them back. Hey, man, I'm really sorry if you didn't like that. Now, is it 50-50 for me? Thank God, no. It's like 90-10, 80-20, a bad you're going to get some, it's a handmade product, but I've re- I've gotten some people that just said they didn't, the debonairs are great, but they're too expensive. And that doesn't even exist anymore. And then some people said, I just don't like India. And maybe in the beginning there was some bad cigars and things happen. Listen, if the guys say, no, I never make a, listen, I didn't make it. I didn't hand roll it myself. Right. If I did, I'd be a broke. I couldn't do that. And if you're saying that a handmade long filler, natural leaf to product can be perfection at every given time, it's literally impossible. So you're going to get something. But if you if you get at least 10% bad, you go back to the fact to say, look, this is what they were saying then. No hate. Let's communicate.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Let's make it better. That's what my goal is, is to make better. And Indians and devs, all, no, I don't care what anyone in this world says. Anybody out there in TV land or wherever we're looking at, they've gotten better every single year. Every single production is better than the last one, right, no matter what. In the the proof's in the pudding. Why does Indian and debonair do way better in the world internationally? It's 50-50 business for me. I sell just as much overseas as I do in America. Can you tell me, figure that out.
0: So, let's get into your brands. Mm -hmm. So, which came first, Indian or debonair?
1: Okay, that's a weird thing to say. The concept of Indian, of course, was first in the 90s, right? Mm -hmm. But my re... Resurgence into the premium world came with Debonair first. In 2012, we started thinking about it. In 13, I launched it with a Solomon, a Bellicoso, and a Robusto, like two of the most uh, hardest to sell sizes there are, right? And it did really well. So then, like then after that, I came out with a Toro, and then um, and then we came out with a Saguita, which is a Petite Lancero, and then I came out with a four uh, x forty four Petite Solomon, right? So that's like the first degree, and then um, I branched off from Havano was first, then Maduro Connecticut River Valley broadleaf, like really good River Valley broadleaf from Foster Farms from that valley. That was the second, you know, um, offering, and then the third was the Daybreak, which was the Connecticut shade, Ecuadorian shade. But the thing is, everybody out there also know I'm. A, I learned from an old man named Pedro Martin, which is an old school, old guard guy. He taught me core blending. Make a cigar that every wrapper fits. Of course, it'll taste different, but make that core blend taste good with every wrapper, right? So you you, get, you understand what I'm saying? So that's the thing. If you smoke a, sh- a daybreak, wow, this is light and buttery and this and that. Wow, the Havanos so strong. Wow, Maduro's are sweet with the pectin, raisin taste. Same exact core blend, different wrappers. And when I tell people that, that can sit themselves, you know, in the know or this, they're like, wow, Really? Yeah, it's not a different blend? Absolutely not. 100% the same. But the wrappers really, that's another thing that's a big argument out there. And how much does wrapper really influence it? It's the first thing on your lips. And mm-hmm. it's the, when, when, when that first curl of smoke comes off of, what's it coming off of? It's burning off the wrapper, traveling up the wrapper, right? Imagine, it's, remember, we, all we're making is an air filter. Peaks and troughs. Intubado. Or accordion I'm an accordion guy because it's more channels right so it's an air filter and like every inch or so I purge the cigar I blow the old smoke out especially Mm -hmm. in debonairs because I do that the alchemy process which we can get into is what I do is that there's I take after final fermentation I make a mini bulk in a room that I introduce steam that's derived by distilled water right I bring the room up to a certain temperature then I flush it. I keep doing that till the center of the bulk, the mini bulk is the same temperature of the room. And when you, then I flip it. So basically what happens with the neutral as distilled water in a steam form, when it evaporates quickly, it removes pesticide, fertilizer, ammonia, foreign matter, stuff like that, foreign stuff. And what it leaves is what we all love and don't realize is essential oil. And that's what, Happens when it heats up the cigar and then you blow that to the beginning to, you blow through the cigar, it pushes it all to the ember, to the combustion, it burns off all the impurities, and you get that crisp, clean taste. And that's what it that's that's the that's one of the main things that I like about Debonaires is that you can clean it and it becomes new.
0: Wow. So what what was the alchemy thing that you were talking about?
1: Now, I just explained it to you.
0: What you just explained? Mm-hmm. Um, Tobacco
1: alchemy, And that kind of got the theory from pipe tobacco and different stuff of steaming and how you condition tobacco to thrash and a bunch of different processes that come involved in it, you know?
0: So with switching back and forth a little bit with Indian motorcycle, of course you're trying, you know, you're trying to create a cigar that I would think encapsulates the whole experience of having an Indian motorcycle cigar. So how easy or how hard was that? process or has that process been in creating that brand that, you know, like I said, the cigar reflects that experience that you get from that product.
1: Well, I kind of had a lot of understanding of what I was searching for because I had done it before, but I wanted to do, do a betterment of it. And basically the whole theory is smoke history, right? It's an historic brand. It's an historic trophy trademark. It's, it's what the people remember the Americana when Americana was like Americana, it's Mm -hmm. not, it's a, it's a throwback. So basically I made a cigar that's, you know, the same wrappers as Debonair, Ecuadorian shade, Connecticut broadleaf, Havana from Nicaragua. And I use a banda from, from the Dominican. Right. So on the same band, same binder on Indian and Debonair, right. But the fillers are different on the fillers in Indian. It's 50% Ligero HVA, from Nicaragua, and then 50% Seco Piloto Cubano, original C-Strain from Leo Reyes in that cigar. So you're getting a true medium cigar, right? So it's made to meet not – you can't meet every palate, but it's more to meet a, a a person that likes a more full-flavored cigar and also a person that likes a medium cigar, right, which could be medium to light, okay? Well, debonair is Havana Huelta Bajo Ligero from the Dominican, Viso from Nicaragua, from Jalapa, and in, in Sequel from the Dominican Republic with the San Vicente binder and the three same rappers. And that's way more, but it's all, I even, we even sort and select in everything, the fillers. And I got to thank the Dillus Reyes family, the Reyes family, Augusto, you know, they all of them. I've known them since they were kids. I mean, we were making cigars. Rocky and I were making cigars here in 98, like the, you know, the, the Cameroon legend and the gorillas and all that stuff, you know? And, um, they do a great job and they actually really buy into what I'm doing. And they're super high quality stuff there, you know. In mm-hmm. we're actually not even that the boutique term is dead to me. We're the factory we have now, or I work at, or they own, which they treat me like a peer. Um it's a bespoken factory at this point. It's like it's like Savile Row style, where it's a real, you know, bespoken, you know, attention to detail place. You know what I mean? It's not Boutique in the way where it's like a pop up, you know, because that's what's happened. The whole so many terms get just played out, man. It's like the 90s, man. It's like the 80s with hip hop, you know, you get these played out terms and people, you can't bring them back because it doesn't mean anything anymore. It's like, I'm blessed. They, you, how do you ruin that? People ruin that term, <laughs> you know, it's like, so the thing is, it's not being the new shiny penny. It's being the mint that the pennies made on, and there is the there hence the difficult thing, right? You know, don't think outside the box. Think out the the box. The box came in, right? There hence is the <laughs> difficult thing. How do you re, how do you keep something known fresh, right? Rolls Royce don't need advertise. You go to the Uber top, or you go to do, to the Ben Gay. Absorbing Junior, you know Gold Bond Powder. that we all know what it is, but we really don't know what it is. It's like I know what that means, but it's for your sore muscles, right? It's a household name. How do you stay fresh but also become a household name? The minute you figure that out, Antoine, we'll be rich. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: not saying I have no idea because
1: the formula. I'm telling you the formula, but we don't have the actual math. You, I know the formula, but like in the school, they say, okay, you you gave me the answer, but show me the work. The work is what we do, guys like me grinding it, going there. You got a thick skin. You got to be an actor, man, because you know how many nos we get. Even being known, like I supposedly am, or whatever. Yeah, man. You know, no. I mean, not all these stores take it. I know great guys that love me. I hug them, and stuff. they don't care my stuff. They just don't, and it's not against me. I just don't get it because they're getting better deals. They've already had relationships, which earn them what money, right? Why would they buy my cigar straight up when they can get buy two get one free every single order? Hence the business part of it. So now you can't be like, well, that guy, why? He's a businessman. What are you offering him? So, but then I go there and I do stuff and we sell out and he buys again. And then I do that again. Then he buys again, but to what end, you know, how much is that actually? Have I spent, if it spent me 5,000 to do a trip and I only sold 2000 at that store, of course, I'm not just going to go see him. I got to go see other people. It's just, it's a, it's, it's not a rat race. I'm not saying that, and it's not some kind of, you know, 3 cotton mining bullshit, but to get in this industry, anybody who's even considering it, you really have to understand that you should, what I'll tell you from my experience, have a passion, leave the passion in your heart but make sure you have your business in your head. Oh, of course, Phil. So fucking, you know, you're just being so common. No, no, it's a business first. Do the numbers first. You know what? And then if they don't make sense, make some cigars and smoke them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And say you can say, "I made a cigar." What do they say, Little Man padrone, You say, "Plant a tree, write a book, have a kid." You know, right? I got a tree. I've I've planted lots of trees. I've, I've finished my book over COVID. Right. And I got kids. You can hear them talking around. You can hear them <laughs> yelling in the background. Right. it be, I don't know, man. I, I, under, I never got into this industry to be one of these so, cigar levers. I don't know that's not. I grew up around famous people my whole life. My dad was a super famous guy, you know, it's always was fleeting. It's like, yeah, whatever. Man. it's like my grandfather said, never trust an actor because you don't know when they're acting. True. Right. And that's why I get back to the whole thing. Wouldn't you rather be well-renowned, well-liked, well-received than just famous? I know people are famous for being jumping off buildings and and taking a dump in public. I mean, that's. I mean, is that fame? Yeah. But are they but respected? You want. <laughs> yeah, you want them at your house on Thanksgiving? No, I don't want that guy by my house, man. So I usually, <laughs> yeah.
0: So I usually ask this question at the beginning, but you brought it up just now, but. What did you learn from your father about business or how did he kind of impact your your whole approach to business and, and I guess in, in life in general?
1: Man, Antoine, that's that's a whole four or five episodes right there. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I don't dude, I don't even know how to answer that at this point. I mean, read the book. I mean, my dad was a very famous guy and infamous in did a lot of amazing things and I learned a lot from him. I learned how to talk to people, how to do business, how to read people really well because he was in gambling and all that. But a lot of the stuff I do exactly opposite of what he did. Cause he was a, he was a man, he was an arch criminal. I mean, he was, he was, a, he was a gangster, a famous guy. You look him up. He's all over the place. He died in prison. You know, I mean, it's one of those, you know, and that's another thing. It's like, You know, I could easily follow that path and done all that. And people say, oh, well, you're a product of your environment. I don't know. You know, you're a product of your environment if you're bored in a place in the middle of nowhere where there's no real escape. Not in America. Oh, of course. Well, you're out of your mind. I'm like, look, people can rise up. Right. Yeah. My dad had tons of money. That wasn't my money. My dad stole all my money twice. Bankrupted companies left me on the lurch and all that. But what he taught me, if anything, I don't know. I don't know if he taught me, but what I learned was to be resilient and that I truly love people and that maybe against better judgment, I still believe and I still love people and I still want to trust them. And I'm not jaded. And I probably have a lot of reasons to be jaded because I've done a lot of things for people and never really accept, never really Expected to be reciprocated, and they never reciprocated, huh? They mm-hmm. rode the coattails and they a lot of ideas, a lot of things out there came to fruition that were mine. And what am I gonna do? You know, I did it to do it. That's the thing is I did it to do it, but then I get, you know, you can go get, get all down in the mouth and be like Buck, they me over. Blah, blah. Or hey man, I did it once, I'll do it again. And next time I'm doing it better. Because it's kind of sucks to never have an original thought or an idea. Right. And some people that did your things that you did, where is the where was their inception moment? I had my inception moment. They were part of it. And then I'm they took it away and did their own thing. God bless them. Good job. I'll do another one and another one. That's I guess that's that whole Roman mentality. You know, you know what happens, you know, get it done, have fun and being a family man. And seeing my kids grow and giving them the opportunities that I wasn't given, you know, actually being, you know, a good dad and actually, you know, push, not just providing for them. You can give food and you can give shelter and all that. That's not being a father, you know, not to me. You can, I know super wealthy people that their kids are out of their mind because they just want attention. It's Mm -hmm. pushing your children to do better than you did. Well, my father was jealous of me. A lot of my partners I was with in my life were jealous of me. Right. Um, But me, if my sons don't do 10 times better than me, I'm going to be pissed off. That's the point. Whatever happened to that, the next generation needs to be better than the one before it. Who You don't even hear that anymore. And you're only talking, that's like 40, 50 years ago. I mean, we're not talking like 100, 300 years ago. No. Especially in this day and age, you watch, I don't watch any news anymore. Huh? Nothing. I read it. And even that, I put my filter to just read really important things. Because what you watch now, It's a confederacy of dunces. It's like, you they're they're tapping into things that are uber hyper emotional, right? Mm -hmm. It makes you think in a bad way, not a good way. So, and then you're like, then you're fighting and you're arguing and there's no debate left. It's not like when we were kids, you know, you you know, people, you had everyone, everyone and their mother live on your block. You had every different, whatever you want to call them, parties or whatever, and everyone got along. Everyone went to 4th of July. You know, you might get one guy who was a little nuts, but even him, he wasn't that nuts, you know? And if I can do anything with cigars, it's just trying to have people stop talking about in nonsense and then talk about, you know, did you see stranger things? How was, have you read the new, you know, have you read the new, you know, gray man book? I mean, cool shit. There's so much cool shit in the world to talk about. So much cool stuff, history, I mean, got aliens popping up all over the place now. And <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm always waiting for Bigfoot to show up. I can't wait, man. I've been waiting for Bigfoot since I was like watch, you know, with Leonard Nimoy, you know, in the in that, you know, in search of. I can't wait. <laughs> you know? I'm just ranting now. You know what I'm saying though, right? I know what you're
0: saying. Um, at this point of the show, I like to kind of wrap things up with, with two basic questions. Uh, the first of those questions is, do you have a philosophy that you live by? What
1: is it? I do. Absolutely. The positive thinker sees the invisible, feels the intangible and achieves the impossible. Right. I truly believe that. Right. But the flip side of that is to be positive all the time is a negative because you're setting yourself up for failure. Right. And I also, my other key belief is is ne- you never fail in life. It's only temporary defeat, right? Mm-hmm. And you just got to look at things from the angle that it's never going to be easy. Always expect it to be hard. And then when it is easy, that's nice, right? right. That's all. I mean, look, it's we're so advanced now that we're going back in time. That there's so much information that now people are going to chat GPT to tell them what to do.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: It's like, I'm gonna write a book. Did you sit down and write it? No, I just said I have an idea. Come on, bro. What the you <laughs> Hemingway, Tolski, all these guys who were tortured, you know, Edgar Allan Poe. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's like what they're going in their grave, going, holy shit, man. Now, it's genius, and I think it's great, but you know, and also I learned a, I learned this saying over pandemic, and, it's, and I, it took me a while to grasp it, and then I, I came up with the spin of it. I found a positive in it, is that playing fair is a lie invented by the powerful to keep the rest of us weak, right? Okay? But then, one day it hit me, I was training, I was working out. I'm like, I got it. Before you play, figure out what playing fair to them means first, and then decide if you wanna play the game. Because you exactly. go in with your, your sense of playing fair, it's not their sense. The only thing that abides by majority of rule is a person's conscience. The thing that cannot abide, abide by majority rule is a person's conscience. You understand what I mean? The only thing that cannot abide by majority rule is a person's conscience, right? So what you think is totally abstract, I think, is norm, right? And if I think you're – you think I'm playing fair. You're playing fair for you, right? I'm playing fair. I'm playing fair for me. Say, man, what does playing fair mean to you mean? In what, in life? No, no. We're in business right now. Well, I have to – right. Bottom line, margin, this, and about all that bullshit, all that accounting terms. Cool. So this is my offer. Well, that's too much on your side. Well, let's play fair then. 50, 50. You got it. Okay. But don't go into it. I learned that, man. I learned that. Yeah. By the, you know, cat, cat, and nine tails, education across the back man. It hurts. You give back up and then there's all the other stuff, but that's it. The positive thinker, Sees the invisible, feels the intangible, and it can achieve the impossible. Because someone else did it. That guy did it. Why can't I do it? Once you get that in your mind, but do you want to do it? Do you want to do it? You can do anything you want. It's a free world. No matter what anyone tells you, you can. But what does it take to do it? Is it worth it? Sometimes it's better to make less money and have more peace. Mm -hmm. I got hundreds of them. And trust me, I go through this shit. I read like voraciously. I, I study way smarter people than me and way more vulgar and way more violent and way more tough. And they have all theories, too. What's the warrior poet bullshit? All that stuff means something. And you can apply it. But application is the most difficult part, you know. And I'm just bit, trust me, I I do have a theory, and I think that you got something out of that. I don't know if you
0: <laughs> um the final question for the for this part of the Thank interview, at least, is uh I want you to finish this sentence. Philip Zangi is
1: the loving father. That's it. That's the, the most thing. important thing to me.
0: That's good. That's great. Um, Can you tell people who are not watching this, so they haven't seen the banner that's been up on the screen uh, Mm -hmm. most of the interview, but if they want to learn more about your, the, your brands, Debonair and Indian motorcycle Mm -hmm. and uh, what, and keep up with you, what social media and what websites do they need to follow and visit?
1: The Um, easiest website. It's not, it's there. It's Debonair Right. And then there's Debonair cigars. Indian Motorcycle Cigars on Instagram, but then there's Debonair Phil, which is me personally on Instagram, you know, but to keep up with me, go to your local tobacconist, ask for Indian Motorcycle Cigars, ask for Debonair Cigars. Oh, I don't carry them. Why don't you? Well, oh, I've never heard of them. Why haven't you? <laughs> I mean, you know, that's the thing is that that's what I, that's what, that's what helped me the most is that I can get a conversation going with some people and maybe, maybe get in your local area and have a reason to come and sit down and talk with you.
0: Well, great. Well, thank you for coming on tonight. And for those of you who want to rewatch this episode or any of the other over 100 episodes that we've done, um, just go to deepcutslive.com and all the episodes and stuff are there.